change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwi. I'm Josh Smith, and I'm Mike Graham. Mike, I can I think you can hear the jubilation in my voice. We're finally here. Training camp's over. Rosters are set. Thursday. This up. We sit here Sunday, August first. Thursday, four days from now. After 620 days without a CFL game to watch, and yes, I did the math. The wait ends when our Tie Cats and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in a Grey Cup rematch. Get things going on Thursday for real. We have actual. We are we are in game week, Mike. How freaking pumped are you right now? I'm very freaking pumped. Uh, yesterday I went to the mall to uh, try to find a new bike seat for my bike because someone stole my freaking bike seat. Um, but anyways, that has nothing to do with it. I just got <laughs> lost at the mall and uh, ended up buying like a couple of tie cats. I got a Ticat shirt and a Ticat toque. I bought a toque in July. But uh, if, I see, if I see Ticat merchandise in Edmonton, I just have to buy it because you don't see it that often. You don't often. see it very so, often. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I got my new T-shirt to uh, put on for the for the game on Thursday. I got my, my Dylan Wynn jersey to throw on over top of that. So I am pumped and ready to go, and I'm just ready to see the Ticats uh, do their thing on the field. I, I just I couldn't be more excited. So I am going to the Hamilton Forge FC home opener on Wednesday. And obviously on game days, both soccer and football, the Ticat store is open. And I am preparing myself to spend an irresponsible amount of money on some new Ticat stuff so that I also am rocking some new some new threads uh, come Thursday's game. So, uh, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is what we've been waiting for. We... we we dealt with the disappointment, I guess would be the best word to use, of losing the 2019 Grey Cup, thinking that this team was loaded for bear and was going to make amends in 2020, and then obviously the pandemic put a halt to that, and we spent the last, as will be, like I said on Thursday, 620 days just waiting until this was here and now that it's here it feels like no time has passed it feels like a billion years have gone by and no time at all and i'm just uh i'm just so overjoyed that you and i are going to be able to not only this week discuss an actual season and actual games but come back next week and be like mike we watched a football game on thursday like that's just uh that's why we 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 cover this we do this show because we love watching football and it's been way too long since we've been able to watch the Canadian version of that, I uh, I just can't, I can't wait. I'm I'm so overjoyed. I can't wait. I'm with you, buddy. It's going to be a good slate of uh, opening season games. Uh, you know, each one is pretty intriguing. So I'm going to enjoy watching all four games this weekend. 
Absolutely. Before we get into all of our, because this is our season preview episode, we got to talk about the Ticats roster moves, answering some of those lingering questions we had. But before we get into that, I did want to give TSN a massive shout out. Did you pick up this Inside the Numbers CFL magazine that they put out last week? I did. They did. Uh, they did a tremendous job on it. There's. It's just great to have all this info at your fingertips. Something that CFL fans just haven't had. Um, you know, since the the league started up, like we, I don't think we've ever had something like this. So it's uh, it's tremendous. Yeah, it's got a bunch of historical facts and stats. It's got detailed rundowns of every team for the 2021 season. You, it lists like who they lost in free agency, who they added, their most recent draft. It talks about the quarterbacks. It, it was exceptionally well done. Uh, if you're listening to this, I imagine you already have it. But if you haven't, and you absolutely should it's it's free it's you don't have to pay for it you can download it for free it is it is well well worth your time to just dig in it's 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 pretty hefty thing too it's uh it's about 70 some odd pages and it's it's just so chock full of information i think tsn gets a lot of flack from from some corners of cfl fan for not doing enough to promote the league i'm not sure i entirely agree with that but i'm not sure i entirely disagree with it either but it's, it's clear in looking at this thing, this is so professionally done, they put considerable time and effort into this magazine. And I think everyone out there who, whether you agree with TSN that they don't do enough or you think they do as much as they can, it is an absolute must to get your hands on just so I feel like we're more, such, so much more well-informed fans. Even if it's not a ton of, like there, there's information in there that, I, that we didn't know, obviously, but a lot of it is just like getting you primed for the season. I feel like we're just, uh, we're so much better for it. This thing. I hope this becomes an annual thing or, or a semi-annual thing. Like if they want to do like a mid-season version of this, or they just want to do one every every year at the start of the season. This is a welcome addition, I think, to uh, to the information that CFL fans need. Yeah, you got the season preview for each team. Uh, you got a lot of betting odds stuff. Like uh, Hamilton is the favorite to win the Grey Cup right now, and you can get them at uh, some pretty decent prices. I mean, uh, Fan Duels at plus four fifty. DraftKings plus 350, you know, the lowest you're going to get is plus 300, so that's th- three times your money. So, I mean, I'm pretty tempted to put a little bit of cash on the Tigers to win the Grey Cup, just looking at some of those odds. But, uh, but yeah, there's there's just so much information in this magazine, and uh, you're right, they, this better be a thing going forward because we need this stuff, you know, especially in the betting world that we're living in now. Um, the more information, the better. Yeah, and it had, like, so much little stuff. Like, there was... At the bottom of each, like, team's things, it had, like, sort of a, like, this guy is this to win this award, or this guy is mm-hmm. this to to throw for this many yards or run for this many yards, or this guy, this team is over under this many wins. It was, it's clearly something that is geared towards betting, which, as we know from the last few months, is something the league is, is desperately trying to get uh, kind of a foothold in, in, in hopes of, of adding some more money to their coffers. Yeah, I just I just think this thing's absolutely fantastic. And I think it also, uh, a little selfishly, Mike, you and I, a couple weeks ago, we had a, we didn't debate it, but uh, Rob Vanstone out there in Regina was uh, apoplectic about the fact that Darian Durant wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. And this magazine had a list of all the first ballot Hall of Famers. And just looking at the quarterback position, Jackie Parker, Russ Jackson, Ron Lancaster, Warren Moon, Doug Flutie, Anthony Calvillo, and most recently Henry Burris, uh, there's a lot of great quarterbacks, Danny McManus, Tracy Ham, Matt Dunnigan, the list goes on and on of quarterbacks who weren't 
first ballot Hall of Famers. I think that this list here that's now available to everyone kind of backs up what we said, that Darian Durant was was not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Would you agree now, especially? Like, I mean, we agreed at the time, but I think looking at this list mm-hmm. and going, these this is the the exclusive group that were first ballot Hall of Famers at quarterback. I, no disrespect to Darian Durant, but I don't think he belongs in that list of names. No, he, he doesn't. I mean, he was a really good quarterback, and he did some great things for Saskatchewan that uh, – you know that playoff run where they they won the Great Cup against Hamilton. He he played great. I'm not I'm not taking that away from him, but you just can't compare him to guys like Jackie Parker and Russ Jackson and Ron Lancaster and Warren Moon and Doug Flutie and Anthony Calvillo and Henry Burris. He's just not in their league. So um, maybe he gets in, but it won't. To me, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. No way. All right, so let's move on to some actual news. We're going to talk Ty Cats news here, and the end of training camp came which means cut-down day also came and went. This is always kind of a bittersweet day. I think we get the answers as to who made the roster, but we also know that a lot of really good football players uh, saw their dreams of playing professional football come to an end, or at least get paused for the time being. And for me, Mike, this one became, this this cut-down day, especially for the Cats, became oddly harder in the wake of us doing those positional deep dives the last few weeks and realizing just how good a lot of these guys are that, didn't make the roster. Uh, I know you and I both knew how good the talent level in the CFL is, was, and will be. But when you kind of list the accolades of some of these guys that didn't make the roster previous to them getting cut, it kind of really stands out just how good these football players are that don't make CFL teams. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was oddly harder for me this this go around to to see the cuts because it was like not that I was invested in these guys, but I was like, man, we talked about this guy. And I really thought this guy had a shot. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of tough. Like, there were some names on here that uh, not, there wasn't any, like, major veteran players that stood out. Like, that was kind of the, the, the thinking amongst a lot of people, right, that there would be this sort of bloodletting of veteran players, and we never really saw it. I mean, the Ticats didn't really cut any major veterans. Uh, Marcus Davis, the Canadian receiver that was a draft pick a few years ago. Cam Phillips was a guy that they – they seemed high on. Uh, he was the, the leading receiver in the XFL who is now signed with the Argos. Um, Jeff Allison we talked about who had who had who uh, was a linebacker that had uh, ties with Orlando Steinhauer from Fresno State. And they did cut a pair of uh, Canadian draft picks, recent draft picks, Jarek Richards, who was a fourth-round pick in 2021, and uh, Jean Ventnos, who was the sixth-round pick in 2020. Maybe both those guys end up going back to school. Uh, we've seen that with sort of youth sports players who get, who get cut after their first training camp. But... Uh, not a lot of like standout names on this list, right? No, and you, you expected to see, you know, with the talent level that the Ticats have, you expect to see, you know, a couple more guys that are a little bo- bit more notable. But uh, yeah, it. Uh, you mentioned some of the guys that are a little bit surprising, like Cam Phillips, the guy that led the league in the XFL and in receiving yards. And um, but other than that, you know, not a not a lot of a lot of big names out there. My boy Scotty Dill, unfortunately, got uh, got the cut, but uh, that's just because I like his his name. But that's that's unfortunate. And uh, you know, Cam Power or Powers, Justice, Justice Powers. Powers yeah, that was I, I was yeah. I I, was I, I shed a tear when I saw that, and I was like, oh, Mike's yeah. gonna be bummed. Yeah, uh, uh, that's okay. I uh, you know, that's just the way it is. Some sometimes people that you like, people names you like, get cut from the team, but. Uh, yeah, we. I mean, there's so much talent on this team, and uh, we're keeping pretty much all of them. So I, I'm pretty happy. 
Yeah, the team also announced that they added 18 players to their practice roster. And aside from the fact that, because you and I, you know, give a peek behind the curtain, we were talking about, like, before the show, what, so many practice roster players. And then we just recently found out that the, the practice roster has expanded. There's a, a league-wide practice roster that players have to be put on. So that's why all these teams have so many players in their practice roster. But there wasn't anything too shocking for me here either a lot of newer american players and some recent draft picks are on the list the only one that really stood out to me was tyler trenowski i thought in the the one training camp session i went to i thought he looked pretty good running with the the second team offense but he you know he's a third round pick in 2020 uh, 2020 and uh he was playing you know the practice roster is kind of for guys like that that fringe players who they kind of want to develop that's kind of the point um but you look at the practice roster guys and there wasn't uh there's not a whole lot of surprises there either. So uh, it, it seems like this Ticats team going into the season is going to be pretty veteran heavy with uh, with some good young players uh, on the practice roster, what it looks like to me. Yeah, it, it looks like if players go down this season uh, to injury that uh, there will be a lot of talent to come in and, and fill their shoes. So I'm pretty happy with all the depth that's on this team right now. Yeah, now and the thing, the big thing, because – Going through the list of players, I think, is a little tedious. I, I we, we discussed every single one of these guys over the last few weeks. So if you want to know what we think about some of the guys in the practice roster, you can go dig into the archives and find out. Uh, just just look in the description. You'll see which position we talk about, and you can, you can find what we kind of discussed about these guys there. But I think what's good about this is now that we know how the roster will be made up, uh, we kind of have our answers to most of the questions with one glaring obvious omission as to – all those questions we had going into camp, we, we had a bunch. We were concerned. You obviously were concerned with the offensive line, but, but we now that we know who is and isn't on the roster, practice roster, and, and so forth, we can kind of look back at these questions and we kind of have answers. Now, I'd, I'd like to start with the offensive line, if you don't mind, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one American listed as an offensive lineman on the roster, and I think it's safe to say now that Trevon Tate has won the left tackle position. Uh, not really a surprise here, I don't think. What, do you, what about you? No, we pegged uh, Tate as the left tackle like very early on. It seemed like he was the front runner, um, just because you know his experience at the position at uh, both tackle positions actually in college, and um, I think he's been on the team a year or two. So it it, it appears that the offensive line will look um, like this in the first week. Tate, um, K. Okafor at the other tackle position because of the injured. Uh, uh, Chris Van Zyl, um, Brandon Reverberg, and Jesse Gibbon at guard, and Darius Sirocco at center. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be tough with uh, the most outstanding lineman uh, of the year in 2019 out for the first week, but, uh, you know, hopefully Kay Okafor will be able to fill his shoes for that uh, that first regular season game against Winnipeg. And this is information is coming from... Uh, uh, the spec, uh, which uh, Steve Milton writes for, so he this is going off his observations in uh, in practice. Um, speaking of observations, did you see the quote in John Hodges' insider talk this week, saying that people in the media should be talking more about this mm-hmm. left tackle situation with the Tie Cats because they have, and this is a direct quote, a gaping hole at left mm-hmm. tackle. Um, I guess whoever said that isn't a listener to this show because we've been talking about this nonstop for months, it seems like. Yeah, I know, right? I I thought the exact same thing when I read that on uh, whatever morning it was. But, uh, yeah, I just thought me and Josh have been uh, – Josh and I have been talking about this for for months and months and months. So 
Obviously not a Podsky Weeby listener, but that's okay. That is okay. But I do kind of want to go on a bit of a rant here about this because I read this and it was it was less so about it, it being the Ticats and Tate and more so about how many offensive linemen, especially American offensive linemen, who become eventually award winners in this league, did any of us know before they played in the CFL? Like... Did anyone know who Derek Dennis or Stanley Bryant or Rob Murphy, Jovan Olofioye were before they became household names among CFL fans after winning top linemen numerous times? Of course not. Like, Riker Matthews is the guy that Tate's replacing, and we love Riker Matthews. I've been a big fan of his. You've been a big fan of his since almost the day he stepped on the field. You can go back into the archives and listen. We were bigging him up from the second he started playing. But let's be honest, we didn't know who he was before he played either. Mm-hmm. And I kind of say all this just because we don't know who Trevon Tate is right now. And that doesn't mean he can't become the next Riker Matthews or Stanley Bryant or Sir Vincent Rogers, or I, you know, I could go on and on. He's an unknown now and maybe he, he won't be any good, but maybe he becomes the next Xavier Fulton. Like it's way too early to tell. It just, it feels like this is a, maybe it's, it's an informed opinion, but it, it, it comes off as just, like speculation as if like there's no possible way this guy could be any good. I, I, I just don't understand that because the history of this league is we see American offensive linemen come into this league and become great. I listed how many, a half dozen there, that I guarantee you the vast majority of people who follow this league had no bloody idea who those guys were before they became who they were. Yeah, absolutely. And this, you know, it's, it is pure speculation. You know, they're, there might be a gaping hole at left tackle, but uh, I'm pretty sure this insider isn't at you know the practices observing how Travante performs, and, and like really none of us know how he's going to do. So you know, there's a possibility that uh, you know there could be a problem at left tackle, but there's also a possibility that uh, Tate could be a tremendous talent, and uh, you know it just takes a couple games for him to really get in. Um, into form and uh, do a good job at that position. Well, and he's got a hell of a job ahead of him blocking Willie Jefferson this upcoming Thursday. So we're going to know real quick how good this guy can be. And remember, Willie Jefferson made Riker Matthews look really bad in the Grey Cup. So, Jeez, that was really bad. Yeah. If if Tate struggles, it's not throw the baby out with the bathwater time, I don't think. Willie Jefferson makes a lot of good offensive linemen look really bad. You're going up against a defensive end that's – if not the best, you know, top three for sure in the league and in, in your first game. So he's going to no, be with thrown no the front of... With no preseason game. So it's not like that even exactly. a chance to get, get yep. his legs underneath him, you know? Yeah. So he's being thrown into the fire right away, and he's going to have to perform immediately. And, uh, yeah, we're going to find out some things about him on uh, on Thursday night. We are indeed. Uh, according to Steve Milton, we're going to move on here. And a little sidebar here. I think on behalf of... You and me, I would like to apologize to our listeners. We, You and I both recently ponied up the very, very tiny amount of money it took to get Hamilton Spectator subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And because of this, we now have a lot more information as to what's going on with the Ticats. We really could have used this information during camp the last three weeks. So I'd like to apologize to listeners for being tightwads and not actually getting all the potential information we could have, but we have rectified that situation going forward. So we will have all the latest information from someone who's not affiliated with the team. No offense to Louis B, but he's affiliated with the team. He's not going to give out kind of trade secrets. Milty, on the other hand, 
he can say some things that necessarily people affiliated with the team can't. So we have that information at our fingertips now, so we'll be much better informed. I digress, however. The Sam linebacker role now looks like it's going to be filled by one Cameron Kelly, who is a rookie to the CFL. We covered him in depth last week when we talked about defensive backs and linebackers, but he is a 6'2", 205-pound former NFL DB who played 14 games in 2019 with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a bit of a refresher on Kelly. I kind of dig this. He's definitely got the size, and we know he can cover from playing defensive back in the NFL. I think this has a real good shot of working out. What say you? Yeah, it's uh, it looks intriguing. I mean, you got Simone, obviously, Santos Knox, and uh, Cameron Kelly. Um, you know, if he can cover DBs in the NFL, then he... he probably can do a pretty good job up here too right so it's basically like an uh, extra db spot on the field so yeah i'm really excited to see what this cameron kelly guy can can do out there because we all know it's a very important spot and uh needs to be filled by a guy that can uh can cover so i'm excited to see what cameron kelly can bring to the field yeah this is something i'm going to be paying extra close attention to yep. when watching the game on thursday because i think this is it's, again, it's game one, no preseason. These aren't make it or break it things, but I, uh, he, he's a he's the player to watch for me uh, in this upcoming game against the Bombers. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about kickers now. Based on the cuts that were made, it looks like the Tie Cats are going to be going, as we suspected last week after I went to practice, uh, that they're going to be going American at kicker with Taylor uh, Bertolette as their place kicker and Global at punter with Joel Whitford to start the season. Um, where do you st- now that's official? We kind of we discussed it last week, so we're kind of treading on some uh, some worn tires here, anyway. But now that it's officially or unofficially official, where do you stand on this American Global tandem as the kickers and the punter? Um, I'm okay with it. Uh, like, like we talked about last week, it's nice to have a Canadian who will do all three positions. But uh, you know, if they couldn't find a, a Canadian to fill those roles, then um, I trust that they've found the best talent that they've had. Uh, in training camps so uh, yeah not much more to say about it I just hope that they can uh, kick it through the uprights and uh, not kick the ball out of bounds every kickoff or or, uh, punt right (laughs) indeed I mean I I hope they never get used hope we never punt we never kick a field goal or an extra point it's it's all two-point converts and touchdowns and the only time you need a kicker is on a kickoff after they score 100 points a game so uh, that, that's what I'm looking for. But they do still have a Canadian kicker. Uh, Michael Domagala is on the practice roster. So they do have the option to go Canadian if the ratio needs it or Bertolette struggles. So uh, this is not a set in stone. They have one kicker, one punter. They do have options in case they have to change course at some point this season. So uh, I don't know, but it's just another question that we have that uh, got answered. Uh, another yep. one we had is who was going to replace uh, the man lovingly referred to by us as Mother effing Mike Jones as the team's Canadian receiver. And it looks like second-year man David Unger III will be filling that role with also kind of a healthy dose of Nikola Kalinic and the first overall pick from the 2021 draft, Jake Burt, on offensive as well. With the Killer Bees, Jalen Acklin, and Devere Posey when when he returns to the field after this uh, injury goes away, I don't think a lot's going to be asked of the Canadian receiver, but I, I... Honestly, with Unger being in his in his second year with the team, I could see him having some decent stats by the end of the year. It wouldn't really surprise me if he finished in kind of the 
500-ish yard range, yard range, which I think would be pretty good mm-hmm. for uh, that wide side receiver who I think could also move around. And we know the Ticats don't – it's not like set in stone. These guys only play these positions. They move their receivers around quite a bit. Uh, what do you make of, of the decision to go with Unger as what looks to be the primary Canadian receiver? And then, of course, we're going to see the, the tight end fullbacks in there as well. Well, he's just another fast guy on the field for that receiving core. I mean, apparently David Unger came into camp a little – um, lighter than he has been in previous years. Uh, he's a little bit faster. So, I mean, you add another fast guy on the field with guys like Brandon Banks and Addison and Posey and Acklin. I mean, this this group is going to be fast out there. It's going to be fun to watch. So I like the decision to go with Unger. And, you know, if he adds 500 yards to the, to the offense, I'd be really, really happy with that. Um, while we're on the subject of receivers, though, are you concerned at all with this injury to Devere Posey? Apparently he did start the, he started camp. He was there. He got nicked up at some point during camp. And now I think Orlando Steinhauer is quoted as saying it's a long shot that he'll be ready for week one. Are you worried that this could be something that lingers for the season? Or do you think this is just, uh, I mean, I guess we'll find out when those injury reports come out starting this week. Right. Uh, where, where do you kind of stand? You, you worried that this prize free agent acquisition might, uh, might not see the field much for us this year? I'm not overly worried. Um, you know, even if he's out for for a stretch, I think that they have enough talent on this team that, uh, you know, we won't really, you know, miss him hugely. I mean, there uh, there's question marks about him coming into camp anyways. So, you know, he's been great as a receiver. He hasn't been, um, you know, tremendous. Uh, I think we'd agree on that. You know, we were, we were both glad that he, he was brought into camp and brought into the team, but... Uh, he was more of like an icing on the cake, you know. I think we could have been a formidable unit in the receiving core without him. But uh, I think he'll be okay, even if he's out for a stretch. Um, I think the offense won't drop off at all. I don't disagree with that at all. I think he's a he's a nice piece to add, mm-hmm. but he was always going to be kind of the third option. You know, Banks is one. You know, Addison's two. A former Grey Cup MVP is a damn good number three option, so it's not like I'm, I'm not trying to diminish him in any way, but it was always, like you said, kind of icing on the cake, you know what I mean? Like, this wasn't, uh, it's not like his his being there or not is going to make or break this receiving unit. There's there's a lot of talent in here, starting with the, with the two Bs, of course. Um, the one question we didn't get an answer to, though, Mike, it, I'm not really surprised, but... I think we're going to have it shortly. Is who the starting quarterback is going to be? The Ty Cats haven't announced that made that decision yet, but Orlando Steinhauer did say the decision has been made. So I guess it's going to be maybe tomorrow. I think would could be day one of practice. I, I think it's tomorrow. Maybe it's today. I should have looked at the practice schedule before we recorded, but I'm, I'm going to assume that it's day one of practice is when we will finally get the answer as to who will be under center when things get going on Thursday. Yeah, and you know, I don't understand why he just doesn't put it out i mean i've seen this across the league still that i think it was with the argonauts dinwiddie's keeping it secret and we just can't do that anymore like if it's going to come out on monday okay that's fine maybe i'm overreacting but it seems like these coaches are still holding everything close to the vest and we're in a new age now and we need to know who the starting quarterbacks are okay so let's let's just get that information out on monday so i don't have to be mad again yeah i don't i honestly don't understand why you keep it secret like you're gonna, I mean, yeah, have, it's, it's gonna get unveiled at, at, at some point sooner or later. What does it matter if it's a day or two ahead of when you quote unquote wanted right. it to? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it just seems, it seems silly to me. But I am excited to see because, you know, at the start of camp, um, 
I thought, I think we thought that it was going to be Mazzoli for sure. But as camp went on, um, I'm kind of questioning that. Like, it's coin flip, dude. I'm not, it's a coin I'm flip. not really. Yeah, I'm not really sure anymore who's it, who it's going to be. Is it going to be you know Evans or is it going to be Mazzoli? So I'm genuinely curious to see who the starting quarterback is going to be. Yeah, it's that practice last week. It was closer than I thought it was. I still lean slightly to Mazzoli, but Evans has made this a true competition. This is, but I think no matter who it is, the team's in good hands. But yeah, this mm-hmm. is. Uh, we will be waiting with bated breath for this to finally drop as to who the uh, the starter is going to be. It's a uh, it's a lot lot closer than I ever anticipated it being. Right, and as you meant, like it doesn't matter to us who the starter is. Right? We, we love we love both guys, right? So I know I think that both guys will. Um, lead this team to a lot of success so it doesn't really matter to us but uh it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting yeah it's gonna divide the fan base no matter who it is right there's there's guys yeah. who are gonna back evans I, I get i i wrote that piece last week for three down about what i saw at practice and i had people in my in my in my dms and in my mentions going well i saw it differently than you everyone sees what they want to see and uh i mean it it, it there's always they, they, the old saying of you know if you have two quarterbacks you have none i don't think is true i do think the the saying of the backup quarterback is always everyone's favorite player is also true but mm-hmm. this is this is two starters there just so happens to be two guys on one team that can both lead lead the franchise it's uh i, I hope that once the decision's made everyone can kind of back off and accept it but i mean that's wishful thinking right like tie fans don't do that they're gonna get pissed yeah uh, this, as soon as one starts faltering the yeah the fandom will be calling for the other guy to come in. That's just the way it is, yeah. uh, especially in Hamilton. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a question all year. But uh, hopefully once they have that guy set um, as the starter, he will be the starter throughout the season. And there will be, you know, no taking him out and putting someone else, someone else in. Because that would mean either injuries or he's not performing well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting decision that we're going to find out here shortly. Okay, moving on. Obviously, the Ticats weren't the only team that had to trim their roster. All nine CFL teams had to meet the roster requirements by 10 p.m. Eastern this past Friday. Um, unlike with the Ticats, so there were a couple of big names, or at least well-known names, that were let go across the league. But it wasn't the massive bloodletting I think some thought it would be. The Argos kept almost all of their big-name acquisitions, and the list of guys with vast CFL experience who were let go was limited to just a handful of guys. Montreal released Naaman Roosevelt, BC let Chris Kasher go, and Edmonton cut Sean Lemon, who very quickly signed in Calgary, and also Vontae Diggs, who even more quickly signed in Toronto. So there's not really as many guys to fantasy book coming to Hamilton as a lot of people may have expected. And that massive veterans that were supposed to be getting released in Toronto never happened either. So it's a, a kind of a... Um, an anticlimactic cutdown day when it comes to sorts. So you you always always usually always see, you know, one, two, or three like big name guys. You're like, I can't believe they let that guy go. Mm-hmm. Didn't really happen this year, did it? No, not really. I mean, Chris Casher was a a good a good player that I was a little bit surprised. And then the two in Edmonton, Sean Lemon and Diggs. Um, you know, they like you said, they they found jobs very quickly after they were released. But I was I was a little bit surprised at those names in Edmonton because they you know, they lost a couple on the defensive line. I know it's not uh, you know Seawell's in the middle and Sean Lemon's on the outside, so it's not you know doesn't really line up um, to be that surprising. But 
uh, yeah, it's just I thought there would be, you know, quite a few names out there that, uh, you know, raised some eyebrows, but it was only it was only two or three, really. Yeah, and like you mentioned those guys. Casher was a surprise to me just because he was a big free agent signing by BC, and he was really good when he was with Calgary. Um, Lemon bounces around from team to team. I think I saw somewhere out there that this, when he signed with Calgary, is the 16th different contract he signed with a team over the last 10 years or something like that's he just he bound he's I'm, I'm sure at some point someone will make the joke that he's going to get traded to bc again this year because that seems to be he, he, bc toronto now he just he just bounces around and roosevelt to me wasn't really a surprise he was he was a veteran guy in montreal and they signed him just after or just before i can't remember what it was uh Quambray had his run in with the law uh in 2020 so with bray back in canada being able to play I, I just don't think Roosevelt uh, really had a, had a spot in Montreal. I could see him landing in Ottawa, mind you, because they need some receiver mm-hmm. help. But, yeah, it was kind of a kind of a ho-hum day, uh, which I guess is good. You know, I, I again, watching guys lose jobs is, is never fun. But at least when you see some veteran guys that, you know, might get picked up somewhere else, we can at least kind of speculate on where they may land. Four out of these four guys, two of them already have jobs. So, and I think Roosevelt going to Ottawa makes the most sense. Cash will be interesting seeing where he, because he, I think he can still play. So it'd be kind of interesting to see where he lands up. But yeah, kind of a, uh, kind of not much here. So if you're ready, Mike, uh, with the news out of the way, it's time for us, I think, to get to the reason most people downloaded this episode. It's time for the season preview, our annual show where we give our predictions and preview of what we think the upcoming season is going to look like. We are going to officially go on the record with how we think this season will play out. And spoiler alert. It is exactly how you think we think this season play will play out. Mike, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready to go, my friend. All right, let's get into it. Uh, I thought we could ease into things and do the easiest thing first, and that is predict the order of finish in the East Division. I think there is very little drama here as far as I'm concerned. I think most people listening probably know the exact order we are going to predict things in this division for 2021. What do you want to do? Do you want to go first to fourth or fourth to first, or as I like to call it, Hamilton to Ottawa or Ottawa to Hamilton? What do you want to do? How do you, how do you want to do let's, it? Let's go Ottawa to Hamilton. All right. So we're going to start in fourth place, Mike. Uh, who do you got in fourth place? Oh, uh, surprisingly enough, I have the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks. Shocker. Um, it's, you know, it's the, um, it's probably the pick that everyone's going to have who makes picks last in the East. It's just, you know, they have a new head coach, Paul Apolise, and he's a great offensive mind, but he hasn't had that great success as a head coach. Um, he had a short stint as head coach in Winnipeg, I believe, and it didn't, you know, go so great. Um, lost a lot of talent. Um, you know, Marcel Belfay let a lot of guys go as he as he Desjardins. tends to do. Don't don't, wait, don't put this on Belfay. Desjardins, buddy, come on. Oh, yeah. Wrong Marcel. Wrong French Marcel. You're blaming mixed there. up. God <laughs> darn it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he tends to let a lot of people go. Um, he didn't bring in much talent to replace them. Um, you know, they've got question marks at quarterback. Uh, it's just, it doesn't look very good in Ottawa and that's why I have them in fourth place. They just, they just don't have enough talent to be successful. I don't think. Yeah. I got the red blacks in last. I honestly legitimately believe this team could go winless. I don't think they will. I think they could, if this was an 18 game schedule, they might very well threaten the 2003 Hamilton Tiger Cats record for futility. Uh, they won't obviously match their losses 
from that season because the Ticats lost 17 games, but there is a good possibility that they will break the record for fewest wins in a season. I there's I think there's pieces here for the future. I I like Lapolis as a head coach, great offensive mind. I think if he's given time, he can probably build something there. I don't think Matt Nichols is the answer. He's a stopgap. They need to find a young quarterback at some point to take the reins over there. Um, they lost so much talent. They've lost offensive line. They've lost their maybe the face of the franchise in Brad Sinopoli. I don't know what that defense is going to look like. They'll probably squeak out a win or two by happenstance, but this this is not a good football team, and... I know predicting Ottawa to finish last is usually foolish, but the last time we saw them play, they were objectively terrible, and I can't see them getting much better this year. So much like you, I got them in fourth place. What's your third place finish? I got Toronto in third place. Um, You know, as we know, they've brought in a lot, a lot of talent. They're still signing talent. They brought in Diggs, the linebacker from Edmonton recently, and I don't, I don't know how they're going to fit him into that linebacker core, but, but yeah, there's a, you know, they brought in a ton of talent, but can these new pick pieces mesh? You know, that's the big thing. We've seen this before, uh, a lot of free agent signings. They bring them in, a lot of big names, and it just doesn't work out because the team can't mesh that quickly. Uh, is Dinwiddie a legit head coach? We don't know. We don't know. He spent some time in Calgary. That's a great place to learn, a great franchise, but he's on his own now. He's leading this team, and uh, we don't know. If he can do that, uh, is Arbuckle the real deal? Um, he had he had a pretty good season when he was filling in for Bo in Calgary, but that's you know that once again Calgary is it makes you look good. You know when you're playing for that franchise, they put you in the right places, they they do all the right things, and uh, he looked good in Calgary, but can he look good in Toronto? Um, and then there's the other question: if he's not the guy, is uh, BLT the guy? You know, McLeod Bethel Thompson, is is he good enough to lead this team? Um, there's a lot of questions with Toronto. They've done a lot of exciting things, things for that team, um, bring in talent, but I don't know if it's going to all come together and that's going to translate into wins. So for me, I think they might make the playoffs, but actually I do think they will make the playoffs, but it will be in third in the East Division. Oh, you're calling for no crossover this year. That was one of the questions I had from when we were going to do playoffs. You're already dropping that knowledge here. Uh-huh. I also have the Argos in third, so our East Division is going to be the exact same because I know, well, I mean, we know who we have in first, so obviously second's not a surprise yeah. either. You listed a ton of those questions that I have for them as well. It's will they be able to gel quickly? We all talk about Hamilton's quarterback, quote-unquote, controversy. What about Toronto's? They have, at least with the Ticats, you have two guys that we know can get it done. One guy's led a team to a great cup. The other's been uh, a starting caliber quarterback for a number of years and was a finalist for MOP. You're at least comfortable with both of those guys. We don't know what Nick Arbuckle is. I know a lot of people are high on McLeod Bethel Thompson, but he puts up some good stats, but they never win. So it's those are kind of empty stats, to be quite honest. And you mentioned the, the, the head coach. Like, yeah, Calgary makes a lot of people look better than they actually are. And maybe the Argos will be better than this, but based on the information we have now, I don't feel comfortable leapfrogging them over Montreal or Hamilton just because there's too many questions there as we sit here on the eve of the season. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I also pegged the Argos 
for a third place finish. Uh, I won't spoil whether I have them in the playoffs or not. We'll have to save that for the uh, the playoff section of our of our preview. Um, okay, Mike, uh, I'm I'm not even going to throw it to you and ask you who you got. You got the Owls in second place. Why is that? Uh, Vernon Adams. Uh, he's just a star on the rise. You know, he he had a you know some a breakout season in 2019. You know, almost threw for 5,000 yards, 28 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Uh, he was just an exciting player to watch, and I think he's going to be even better this year. I think this is going to be like the year that he really becomes a star. Um, they got a solid receiving group. Uh, they got a great running back in William Stanback. Uh, you know, they got a, a young coach who's loved by the players, Kahari Jones. Um, I just think that uh, this team is set to really push. Uh, I think they're going to push Hamilton. Uh, I think it's going to be close in the East, and they're going to be in second place. And because they just have, I think they're going to have a really potent offense. And, uh, you know, the defense will be good enough to uh, to win some games for them. So I have them second. Yeah, obviously second here as well. Uh, I think Vernon Adams is a dark horse MOP candidate. I think I, I think if the Ticats don't do what I think they're going to do or what I'm going to predict them to do, then I think if there's a little faltering in Hamilton, I don't think they'll falter further than – I think they're still going to win the division. I think they're still going to finish first in the East. Um, but if they go 10 and four and the owls go eight and six, nine and five, you know what I mean? I think Mm -hmm. Adams is going to be the reason that that team is as good as they are. And I think there's a legitimate shot that he could win MOP. Uh, like you list all the reasons I Kahari Jones, when he took over what, and what felt like the day before the first game after Mike Sherman resigned in 2019, I did not expect much. Like we hadn't seen the owls do anything for a number of years. And, that just the way that team rallied around him, they, what did they go 10 and eight in 2019? Like they, they overachieved big time, but I think that was the, the building blocks for something special there. Uh, I really do think that the Ticats have maybe a one or two year window here to really continue dominating East because if the Owls can keep this all together and, and keep this humming along, I think they're It's, it's going to be a battle between those two teams for a number of years as to who represents the East in the gray cup. And, uh, I think this year the Owls aren't quite there to match the Ticats yet, but uh, but they're they're a damn good football team. I think they're going to win a lot of football games this year, and they're going to be very exciting to watch. So, uh, yeah, second place for them as well. And obviously that leaves our Hamilton Tiger Cats in first place. Is there even a reason for us to mention why we have them here? Or, like, everyone knows why the Ticats. Everyone, everyone. I don't I, – I, I will – I bet you when we do – when we see these predictions from prognosticators across the country – I will be hard pressed, I think, to find someone who doesn't pick the Ticats finishing in first. Yeah, we've been talking about it for months now that why we think this team is going to be so strong. But you know, it's it's basically everyone's returning. You know, there's a couple positions that you know a couple players that we lost, but it's you know the cohesion is there. The you know there a lot of players are coming back. Strong receiving core. The defense is solid. The coaching staff is all back. The Canadian talent is on par with anyone in the league. You know, we got two starting quarterbacks, the best D-line in the league, in my opinion, uh, very strong secondary. Uh, special teams is going to be top-notch with Jeff Reinbold running that crew. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of weaknesses on this team. We, it, we, there's maybe a couple question marks that we've talked about a lot. But overall, I mean, uh, I don't think you can pick against Hamilton to finish first. I just think that you look at this team on paper – you look at how they performed in 2019, and you you know 
you just have to pick them number one because they're the best in the East. What do you think the floor is for them? Ten wins? You think the worst this team does is ten and four? I think so. I've got them, you know, I got them a little bit better than that, like pegged in um, at eleven and three. But yeah, I think ten and four is probably the worst that they go. Like, yeah, I just don't see them losing more than that. Yeah, you look at that. I, we, I mean, we discussed this when the schedule came out. I have three games on their schedule, and now it's really only two. And quite honestly, if I'm being, if I'm being really, really honest with everyone, there's one game that's a question mark for me on this schedule now. With with what we've seen with injuries and uh, what we know is going on in Winnipeg right now with Andrew Harris. Um, I, I won't, I won't say it until I have to, but. Uh, I think you know where I'm going with what I think the Ticats are going to do this year. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I I will give my reasoning for my MOP pick, and that's when I'll say what I think everyone's kind of uh, – it's a tease for what I'm going to say with the Ticats because we've discussed a little bit before. But let's head west, Mike. And I have to admit this was hard. This was really, really difficult. Peek behind the curtain again here. I printed out a couple of copies of the schedule, and I literally went through them and circled – who I thought would win each game. And I must've done that five or six times and come up with like three or four different combinations of how I think this division is going to finish. Um, what about you? Do you have a hard time with this as well? Absolutely. I, you know, I went through it. I had a set one to five or five to one. And uh, as I was doing it, I was, uh, as I was looking up information, I changed it a couple times. So um, yeah, I'm still questioning this order, but uh We'll just have to go with it because that's what I have right now. So Yeah, I, I feel confident. Really I, I yep. got to say, I feel confident who I have in first, but not ridiculously confident. Mm-hmm. And I think you can make a legitimate case for every team, not only making the playoffs, but winning the division. But one of these teams won't. So, I mean, let's stop teasing everyone. Why don't we just get into it? Who do you got in fifth place in the West? I think this is going to be um, – I might be called an idiot for this. Uh, it might be shocking. But I have Saskatchewan at number five. Wow. Um, I just think they lost a lot of talent. Um, they injured, they got, you know, they tore all those Achilles to, uh, in like the first day or before the first day of training camp. And there was a couple starters that, uh, that got injured that are now out for the season. They've taken a huge hit on the offensive line. Um, you know, is Fajardo for real? Is Fajardo going to be as good as he was in 2019? Um, with some big names missing off that offensive line. If you don't have time. Um, you know, Joe Montana wouldn't be a good quarterback if he didn't have time. So there's, there's a lot of questions there. Um, that also the other line, the defensive line took a big hit with the uh, loss of Charleston Hughes and Evans. So, uh, two experienced guys that are, are now gone. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically the reasons why I have Saskatchewan in fifth. I just think they, they're going to have a tough time overcoming those injuries and, uh, they're going to have a tough time replacing those guys on the offensive line, especially a guy like Brandon Labatt. From first to worst, I also have the Saskatchewan Rough Riders finishing in fifth. Wow. Didn't expect that. I I said it. We did bold predictions a few weeks back, maybe a month or so ago. Uh, I don't believe in Cody Fajardo, and I really don't believe in Cody Fajardo with an offensive line that's this patchwork. They know Brandon Labatt. How many American tackles? I think they lost both their American tackles. It's. I think the Riders could really struggle this year, and I, I don't think I can really add anything to to what you said. I just think that this is um. This is not a good football team. I think 
I think they overachieved in in 2019, finishing 13 and five on the top of the heap. I think they benefited from injuries to every other starting quarterback in that division. Uh, I just I don't think the magic repeats itself. I think the Riders are in for no pun intended a pretty rough season. So yeah, fifth place for me as well. What about fourth place? Who you got there? They're in for a rough ride. <laughs> Whoa, it's right there, and I didn't take it. You got it. <laughs> Now, number four, I've got another surprising team. And, God damn it, I, I, it's so t- tough to put them at four, but I got Calgary. I'm sorry. I just, Whoa! I know, that, I know that they're first or second every year, and, uh, you know, every year people pick against them because they lose talent. But I just think, you know, I read the list of departures, and it's just massive. Like, uh, I, I just can't justify picking them any higher than what I have them right now. They lost four offensive linemen. And, uh, you know, Bo's a great quarterback. And like I said about Fajardo, if they don't have anyone protecting them, you know, Bo could be the worst quarterback in the history of the league. So he's not he's not nimble. He's not going to get away from pressure. So if he doesn't have the guys protecting him, I don't see him being a good quarterback. So um, I just for just because of the amount of talent they have lost, you look at the list and you look at the guys that they brought in, not that many. So um, they're going to have to find a lot of guys that are unknowns, and I know that's their specialty. I know they can do that, but I think finally this is the year that they drop off. Wow, and because you don't have a crossover, you have the Stampeders not making the playoffs. Out of the playoffs, baby. Get out of here. We wildly diverge on this one. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. My fourth-place team is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the defending Grey Cup champions. Um I just think that you can't rely on Zach Caleros to stay healthy. If he's your answer at quarterback, as much as I love Zach, and I really do, I think he's a wonderful player. Loved him here. I, was, I wasn't I was happy that the Ticats lost a great cup, but I wasn't as upset as I would be because Caleros got a chance to, to star on the biggest stage. But he, he is who he is. He's, he's a really good quarterback, but that knee injury he suffered six years ago and his subsequent problems with concussions and in and out of the lineup – you just cannot rely on him to play a full 18 games or, in this case, 14 games. So with Andrew Harris getting up there in age and he's nicked up and we don't know if he's going to play the first game of the season on Thursday against the Ticats, I think there's a receiving core in Winnipeg that's not very good. Um, I think it's a, it's a recipe for the Bombers to kind of take a slide down the standings. And uh, so the defending champs I have in fourth place. Uh, well, that was fun. Finally, our first disagreement. So I'm now I'm curious as to how the rest of the, the, the these last three will go. Who do you got in third place, Mike? Uh, third place, I got Winnipeg. All right. Uh, they won the Grey Cup with a strong running game in 2019. Uh, their passing game was average at best. I think their leading receiver had something like 600 yards. Um, that's an anomaly in the CFL. You don't win championships with such a poor passing game uh, and a strong running game. And they're not—they're just not going to be able to lean on that running game as much as they did in 2019. Andrew Harris is, uh, you know, almost two years older. Um, he sounds like he's injured. Um, he's going to be out for a little bit. Uh, they just—they just can't do what they did in 2000. There's no Chris Trevler anymore to uh, to run the ball a decent amount. You know, to give a little question mark to that offense. You know, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? They don't have that anymore. Um, like you mentioned, Claros. If he gets injured, you know, I think it's Sean McGuire is the backup. We don't know how good he is or, or how bad he is. That's a big question mark there. Um, they lost Paul Apolise, their offensive coordinator. There's a lot of question marks with Winnipeg, and 
that's why I have them at number three. I just can't see them repeating the, the success they've had uh, they had in 2019. Yeah, we kind of have the similar reasons for where we place the Bombers. Uh, third place for me is the Edmonton Elks. I like a lot. The, and this for me, three and two was the toughest decision. I was, it was a coin flip either way. Uh, my, I, ultimately, I came down on the side of Edmonton is going to have a fantastic offense, probably a really good defense, but they have a first-time head coach. And having a first-time head coach sometimes leads to first-time head coach mistakes. There's also been some a little bit of turmoil in, in Edmonton throughout camp. The, the whole Kenny Stafford situation where Elizondo said he wasn't a culture fit. He called out Sean Lemon and later cut him. Uh, we saw the team let go of their longtime equipment manager. I know that that's not based on, on the field stuff, but there's been little things kind of building up. A.J. Gass was the special teams coordinator, left for personal reasons, and then ended up signing uh, to be the, I believe, he's the special teams coordinator with the University of Alberta Golden Bears. So there's a little bit of some intrigue there as to, like, what the heck is going on behind the scenes in Edmonton. And I think you kind of wrap all that up with, with a quarterback in Trevor Harris, who is another guy that I think, if he stays healthy, it will be in the MOP mix. But... He's also been known to kind of have some rough outings every now and then and not necessarily be as consistent as you would like him to be. He can look wonderful one week and, and terrible the next. So, uh, yeah, there's there's just a – with the teams I have finishing one and two, there, there's just less questions for me with those squads as there is with Edmonton, which is why I put the Elks ultimately as my third-place team in the West. Interesting. Now to number two for me is, uh, you know, I flip-flopped on this team. I had them last uh, when I first started. And then all of a sudden, I uh, was doing some re- uh, reading, and then they popped up to number two, the BC Lions. Um, I know they had a really rough go of it in 2019, especially along that offensive line. You know, Michael Riley took you know, way, way too many hits. I know he's a tough guy, but no one can sustain uh, the amount of hits that he took. Yeah, but I think the offensive line will be better with the acquisition of Riker Matthews. I think they improved as the season went on. I think they let go of their offensive line coach uh someone new came in and uh they improved when after that happened so i think there'll be a a large improvement in the offense i mean there's gonna have to there's gonna have to be a large improvement in the offensive line or else i will look like a fool with this number two pick <laughs> but uh yeah i think that they really improved their speed um on offense with the they acquired chris rainey and uh, lucky whitehead uh, the defense is a bit of a question mark, especially along that defensive line, but I think they will be good enough to win a lot of games, especially with that high-powered offense that I expect to happen. So that's uh, that's why I got BC at number two. Well, I'm going to strap up and join you on the fool train there, Mike. I also have the BC Lions as the second team. It's, it's all about Riley for me. If they keep him upright, he's one of the best not just in the league, but one of the best to ever do it in this league. If, if the offensive line, the change they made, adding a guy like Riker Matthews, if that helps him avoid, you know, 25% fewer sacks, the, Lions, the Lions are going to win a lot of football games. They, they have a lot of talent on offense. The defense is, it's, it's good, but not great. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I just, uh, I, there's just something. And, and like you, I also had them at one point, they were my fifth place team. They, they, at one point I had them in first, thinking oh man if this thing all comes together this could be a 10-11 win team and that might be enough to win the west but uh yeah i ultimately settled on them as my, as my number two team in the west and uh i i think there's the the reason is rick campbell head coach there 
ton of experience, ton of winning experience, three Grey Cup appearances and a Grey Cup championship in, when it's, in his time in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I think that adds some stability. I don't think I don't think Devon Claybrooks in his lone season there in 2019 was the issue. I think no. he could still be a good head coach in this league, but I think there's something to be said about having a uh, a veteran, knowledgeable long-time head coach that kind of gives them the slight edge over Edmonton as to why I have BC finishing in second. So uh, we're down to the last pick, and and if people can, by process of elimination, they know exactly who we're going with. So, Mike, you have the Edmonton Elks finishing atop the West Division. Why is that? Uh, probably the best offensive line in the league. Uh, they got a tremendous receiving group. I think Trevor Harris is really going to break out this year. The key to the, the, the Edmonton Elks, I think, is improvement in the red zone. Um, Trevor Harris has been great between the 20s, but once he gets into the into that dreaded red zone, it seems to just like get away from him. Um, I think they had more rushing touchdowns in the red zone than passing touchdowns. It just wasn't pretty in 2019 between, you know, when they got inside the 20-yard line. So if they can improve that, I think that they will be uh, one of the top offenses in the league. Um, <clears throat> they lost some good players on the D-line, but I think they got a little younger and cheaper, and I think that there's still a lot of talent there. And they have a solid secondary. Um, I like their new head coach. As I stated before, I thought they, you know, Scott Milanovic leaving wasn't a bad thing for them. Uh, I think his offense has played out. I think Jamie Elizondo comes in, and, and uh, they will be near the top of the heap as an offensive team in 2021. So that's why I have them at number one in the West Division. And I have the Calgary Stampeders. I am just a coward, Mike. I cannot pick the stamps to fall off until the stamps actually fall off. I applaud your guts in saying that not only will the stamps finish fourth, they won't make the playoffs. I am not, I can't I can't do it. We hear every year this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. And what ends up happening? Calgary wins double digit games. More often than not, they get to the bloody Grey Cup. Every now and then, they actually win the damn thing. Until until I see Bo Levi Mitchell put together a, a subpar season, I'm I'm not going to call that he does. Un, unknowns be damned. I got I got the stamps. I got the stamps finishing in first. And I mean I I prefer your prediction because when <laughs> the stamps be the stamps being bad would be nice for for a change. Just because I like when things are different. But I just uh, I, I I just I couldn't do it. I I couldn't do it. So. Uh, I, I suspected that our West Division standings would be much different than our East Division ones, and that proved to be true. Just two teams do we have in the same spot. I think that, uh, but I but I think that either these things or any combination of this, like we could be way mm-hmm. off on Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. You know what yep. I mean? Like, and anything can happen in the West. I think the West is uh, is as tight as it has ever been. So now let's move on to the fun stuff, and that's playoff predictions. You've already said, Mike, that you do not have a crossover team in this year's playoff bracket. So let's start with the East semifinal. I believe your pick then is the Toronto Argonauts visiting the Montreal Alouettes. Is it not? That would be correct. Uh, Toronto at Montreal in the East semi. And I think that uh, Montreal is the more, you know, maybe not talented, but uh, a better team overall. Uh, You know, you can feel the team atmosphere more with the Montreal Alouettes. They're more of a, a family unit. Um, and I just think they're, they're more, they're, you know, they, they're just going to beat Toronto in the semifinal. Toronto would be okay team, but, uh, not good enough to beat Montreal. So 
Montreal advances to the East final against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. All right. Crossover alert. I do have my fourth place West team heading to the East for the playoffs. So my East semi is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers against the Montreal Alouettes and in a bit of an upset. And it, this is kind of, this is narrative more than I think could actually happen, but I'm going with the, with the story that I want to tell with this CFL season. Winnipeg knocks off the Owls and heads to Hamilton for the Eastern final. Mike, your East semi then or uh, West semi that is, will be the Winnipeg Blue Bombers heading to BC place to play the Lions. What do you have playing out there? Yeah, I think that uh, BC is gonna gonna knock off the defending Grey Cup champs, and they will be in the Western Final against the Edmonton Elks. So, um, you know, BC big improvement from the last time they played, being in the Western Final. Wow, and that will also lead to Michael Riley going back to where he mm-hmm. had his most success. That's a really really good story there. I have uh, Edmonton in third, heading to BC, and I have the Elks going into BC and knocking them off. And, uh, and heading to the West Final to take on the Calgary Stampede. So a Battle of Alberta in my West Final. Uh, moving on, Mike, that means you have Montreal and Hamilton in the Eastern Final. Uh, tell everyone why you're insane in taking Montreal to head to the Grey Cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think that, I think it's, you know, if everything goes right and everyone's relatively healthy, the Hamilton-Montreal Eastern Final will be a heck of a game. Um, Montreal is going to want, obviously going to want to knock off Hamilton, uh, being the, uh, the favorite by everyone to make it to the Grey cup. And I think they're going to put a damn good effort in. I think it's going to be a close game, but, uh, in the end, the Tiger cats prevail and head to the Grey cup. So here is where the narrative starts to build for me, Mike, in the East final, the Hamilton Tiger cats to win this Grey cup are going to have to exercise some demons. And the first demon they get to exercise is the ghost of the team that took the Grey cup that if we're being honest, probably should have been theirs. And that's the Winnipeg Blue bombers. They dispatch of them rather handily to get that monkey off their back, destroy the bombers in the East final and take out one of the teams that I think they need to beat in order to crown themselves as Grey cup champions so Hamilton, for me, heads the Grey Cup on home turf. Your Western final has the Lions in Edmonton. Who do you got winning the West and taking on our Ticats in the Grey Cup? I got the Elks to head to the Grey Cup. Uh, once again, I think it's going to be uh, a really good game. Uh, like you mentioned, the storyline, it works out perfect with Michael Riley coming back to Edmonton where he uh, had tremendous success. Uh, with with that franchise, um, I think there'll be a, a large. Even though it'll be friggin' almost December, I think there'll be a large crowd to watch this game, and it'll be an exciting game. But uh, in the end, the the Elks will uh, have the task of traveling to Hamilton and losing to the to the Tiger Cats in the, <laughs> the Grey Cup. I just I, I just gave it away again. Yeah, well, me. I mean, I don't think anyone listening has any. Any, I, I, they, they don't have any aspersions that we're not picking the Cats no. to win the Grey Cup because we both think they're the best team, and, I mean, that's the way it's going to go. So in my West Final, I got the Battle of Alberta. And, again, the narrative of the Thai Cats needing to overcome things continues because the Calgary Stampeders knock mm-hmm. off the Edmonton Elks at McMahon Stadium to head to Hamilton to take on the Thai Cats. And, yes, I have the Hamilton Tiger Cat. The ultimate demon that the Thai Cats need to slay is beating Bo Levi Mitchell. They've never done it. They have one opportunity to do it in the regular season. 
I think they will do it there, but what if what if Bo's hurt and they don't get a chance to do it? They get him in the Grey Cup. This is a repeat of the 2014 Cup that the Cats probably should have won. The flag shouldn't have happened. Brandon Banks should have been a hero. The statue should be in front of Tim Hortons Field. Mm-hmm. They get their revenge years later at home with a raucous Hamilton-centric crowd, and the Thai Cats hoist the Grey Cup, eliminating 22 years of heartbreak. And all of us Ticat fans that are in attendance cry tears of joy and hug a bunch of strangers, probably while still wearing masks, but it's okay. You got the Ticats winning over Edmonton. I got the Ticats winning over Calgary. That'd be the storybook ending to the season, would it not? It would. I, I must admit that, you know, I'll take the Grey Cup win no matter what team they beat, or it just doesn't matter. But, you know, taking out the Calgary Stampeders would be extra, extra sweet because. Like you mentioned, the past, you know, we we haven't beat Calgary in Calgary for years and years and years, and it, it's it's very tough to beat them, you know, on any field. So to take them out would be would be tremendous. All right, let's move on to the player awards, and this is the yearly reminder for everyone listening that we are not picking top rookie because that is a damn near impossible task. Or at least I didn't pick one, Mike. Do you have a top rookie? Because if you no. do, I'll, I'll gladly make one up. <laughs> I'll say whoever is the best rookie. You know what I mean? But this, this it's so hard to pick a rookie at the start of the season. To, to we, we don't know who's going to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could you could go with one of the top draft picks, but like you, like you said, it's just so hard to determine if 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 a rookie's going to get any time on the field or not. So it's a damn near impossible task. So we will move on. Let's start with... What do you think? You want to start with most outstanding special teams player? Yeah, I can, uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's All do that. Right. I we'll got, save MOP uh, for last, right? Okay. Yep. Exactly. Uh, I got I got Chris Rainey. Oh, me too. Um, oh no way! Yeah. I had tough with the one with this because I, I looking at the kickers and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. And I just think Chris Rainey comes back to BC and has a, you know, he, he he's a tremendous returner. He hasn't shown it maybe la- the last time he played, but. Uh, I think he has a really bounce back season and uh, puts up some large numbers for the BC Lions. Yeah, I think he's going to be one of the catalysts for that team being so much better this year. And I did the same thing. I kind of looked, I was like, okay, well, Frankie Williams is the reigning most outstanding special teams player. Eh, I don't know. I don't know if he'll he'll be able to get it done two years in a row. Then I did like you. I looked at the kickers and I was like, none of them really inspire a lot of confidence. You know what I mean? So. All right. Well, what, what, let's let's look around the league at some other returners. And then oh, I was I like, should've, I should have picked Brett Luther. Damn it. Oh, <laughs> kicker from the Riders. Well, I mean, he might <laughs> kick a lot of field goals. They're going to be a last place team. Um, but yeah, and then I kind of was like, you know what? He's never won it. He's going back to BC where he had his most success. Yeah, I think this could be the year, and this could kind of be not necessarily like a, a lifetime achievement award sort of thing, but like. Chris Van Zyl kind of won most outstanding offensive lineman because he had never won it before when he won it. Like, he was great, don't get me wrong, but it was kind of like, he was great, plus he's a veteran, he's never won it, the, the Ticats were so good. Yeah, this makes sense. I think it could be the same thing Chris Rainey. Lions win like 9, 10 games, and he's had a you know a couple touchdowns, he has a lot of return yards. It's like, yeah, I could see Chris Rainey taking this. So, uh, yeah, right off the hop, uh, we're kind of in sync today. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little bizarre, but uh, let's move on. Most outstanding offensive lineman. This is always hard, too. But uh, I think it, this is easier to make a pick than top rookie, though, right? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, for me. I just I went with Riker Matthews. Oh, um, he had a great you know stint with the Tiger Cats. Um, the Grey Cup game was a little rough, but uh, you know there was a rough game for pretty much everyone on the Tiger Cats. So 
I think he comes into BC. He makes a huge difference on the left at that left tackle position, um, and he ends up uh, getting that award. Wow. Okay. Good pick. Good pick. I got Brandon Revenberg. I think the Thai Cats are going to be absolutely fantastic. I think. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. I think Chris Van Zyl is going to miss some time, even if it's just a game or two. I think that Revenberg will play all year, and uh, he's been up for this award before. He's been the Tie Cats nominee numerous times. I think. Uh, I think it's it's time for for the youngster to get sort of his due as being named the top lineman in the league. It's it's tough for interior Canadian lineman to win the award, but I don't really see any standout kind of tackle positions happening. So I think uh, I think Revenberg finds a way to win it. Most outstanding Canadian. Who do you have here? This one was tough, too. Uh, you know, I looked at a lot of offensive players. Nothing really stood out to me. I just think that uh, it's going to go to a defensive player this year, and I got I got Cameron Judge as oh, the most okay. outstanding Canadian. A tremendous linebacker, and uh, he's going to do a lot of good things for the Argonauts this year. I did the same thing. I looked at offensive guys. I was like, Andrew Harris, like, no Brad Sinopoli. So it's like, okay, oh. that takes out one guy that's usually always in the running. Andrew Harris, okay, he's a little nicked up. <sighs> 34 years old, two years off. Like, I don't know if he's going to be as impactful as he used to be. So I did, I like you, I looked at the defense. I was like, okay, you got you got Cam Judge, who I did consider. Oh, but he's next to Enoch Mwamba. And those guys, even just for the Argos vote, could kind of dilute. You know what I mean? Like, they mm-hmm. could kind of, they won't Muddy obviously. The water. Yeah, and they won't obviously, like, steal votes from each other at the league level. But it's like, I, I think those both those guys defensively for the Argos could be in the mix. So it's like, that that could make it harder if one of them actually eventually gets to be the finalist um whether or not people be like well i didn't even think he was the best canadian defender on his team you know what i mean something like that so Mm -hmm. then i I looked west and i was like this is pretty hard and then i landed on the guy that i think is going to have a he's already kind of had a breakout season so he's not a he's not an unknown name but i think he's going to uh potentially i think he can lead the league in sacks but he'll finish top five and that's kwaku botang i think this kid uh, from a fifth-round pick to what he's become in the league, I think he's ready to just absolutely explode. Uh, I, I, like I said, I think he's going to finish top five in sacks, and I think he's going to press to be the league leader in sacks. And if he leads the league in sacks, he's, he's going to win this walking away. But even top five for a Canadian guy I think is damn impressive. So I picked the, uh, the Edmonton Elks uh, Canadian defensive end to win most outstanding Canadian. Uh, top defensive player, Mike, where are you going with this one? I'm going to Homer pick here, and I got Simone Lawrence. Bingo, um, same here. Yeah, he was the runner-up in uh, 2019. This is the year he's in his prime of his career. This is the time to, uh, you know, take that award. You know, win that award, and you know, put it on his mantle. Um, when he when he when he retires, he can look back and say, "I was the best defensive player that year." And uh, yeah, 2021 is the year for Simone Lawrence. I honestly believe he would have won in 2019 if he didn't get suspended. He led the mm-hmm. league in tackles with 98. He lost two games to suspension. He probably puts up another 15 to 20 tackles in those two games. Plus, I think people held a suspension against him. So I think there's no suspension this year. I think without uh, a Larry Dean or a Justin Tuggle and a Rico Murray in that linebacking group, I think a lot is going to be put on his shoulders to lead that defense. He's the face of that defense. He might even well be very well be the face of the franchise. I think he's going to take that. I think he's going to run with it. I think he's going to have his best year, and I think there's going to be no controversy, and he is going to be the most outstanding defensive player. And now we get to MOP, and this was hard because I think there's a lot of guys. I mentioned Vernon Adams. You talked about Trevor Harris. I think there's a lot of guys on this team or in this league that can be MOP. But ultimately, Mike, who did you select as this year's most outstanding player? 
I got uh, I, I I I almost picked Mazzoli or or Evans or another tie cap, but I, I went with Trevor Harris just because I think that he's going to be so well protected, and he, and he's got a you know assault. He's got a lot of weapons around him. I think he's going to put up massive numbers this year, and he's going to claim that award. Trevor Harris is my runner-up. I think he does get the West nominee, but I picked Jeremiah Mazzoli, and here is the main reason why. He is going to be the top quarterback on the best team, and his team is going to go undefeated. The Ticats are going to go 14-0 and this year. Mm. I said earlier that I pegged three losses, three potential losses on this team. It's week one in Winnipeg, but with no Andrew Harris, I don't think the Bombers can beat them. It was week two in Saskatchewan, but with what I think that team's going through with injuries and my lack of faith in Fajardo, I don't think they have a chance in that one either. And it's the game against the Stampeders. That is the only game this year that I can see the Ticats legitimately losing if they play to their potential in every single game. Yeah, there could be a hiccup like we saw. In t- they, they had a hiccup against the Owls. They had a hiccup against the Riders. But this team was damn near close to going undefeated in 2019 with all the injuries they suffered in a backup quarterback who obviously came in and played really well. If the Hamilton Tiger Cats go undefeated and Jeremiah Mazzoli plays 14 games, he will be the unanimous MOP. We've never seen a team go undefeated in this league before. Yes, I know the what, the 1948 Calgary Stampeders, but yeah. Christ, that might as well have been in the 1700s for as long. That, was, that happened before the CFL was even established. Um, not taking anything away from it, but like let's – we're talking yeah. the modern, actual CFL. We've never seen an undefeated team. If the Hamilton Tiger Cats go 14-0, and as I think they will, Mazzoli's the MOP, hands down. Now, if Mazzoli doesn't get to stand out, this looks stupid if we find out on Monday that Dane Evans is the starting quarterback, and then Dane Evans goes undefeated as the MOP, but I think Mazzoli gets named starter quarterback. Tiger Cats go 14-0. and He's MOP running away. Well, I, I, I love the pick. I, lo- I love the 14-0. Uh, and I love Mazzoli winning the MVP. I, I hope it all comes to fruition, Josh. Yeah. I know you do, but I, I, I don't – look, if, if my pie-in-the-sky undefeated season doesn't happen, Trevor Harris's MOP makes so much sense. He would, he would have thrown for 6,000 yards and probably would have been MOP in 2019 if he just stayed healthy. So if he, gets, if he gets the protection you think he's going to get with Ellingson and Walker and Imani Edwards and just James Wilder Jr., who I know we're mm-hmm. not huge fans of, but you made a bold prediction earlier in this offseason that you thought that he could go for 1,200-plus yards. So – there's there's weapons in Edmonton for for Harris to use. And now he won't throw for six thousand yards in a fourteen game season, but if he plays all fourteen games, there's no reason he can't throw for well over five thousand. And I think if if the Ticats end up going twelve and two or eleven and three, and Edmonton goes ten and four or eleven, you know what I mean? I think Harris with the numbers he'll put up, I, th- I think has a legitimate shot. So I don't I don't think your your pick is crazy by any stretch of the imagination. I just think the Ticats are going to do something magical this year, and because of that, their starting quarterback is going to be named MLP. I love it. I love it. So we're done with our season preview, but there's one more thing we have left to do, Mike, and that's a game preview. We have an actual game to talk about for the first time in almost two years. This Thursday, our Hamilton Tigercats opened their season against the team that beat them in the Grey Cup two years ago, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Bombers will be raising their championship banner at what is likely to be a sold-out IG field in Winnipeg, and the Ticats are obviously looking to spoil that fun. It's been a bit of a controversy. Some, some, uh, uh, how do I put this politely? Some uh, shit disturbers in Canadian football media have wondered if 
should the should the uh, bombers be raising this banner against the Thai cats? Orlando Steinhauer was asked that question. He said it was silly. I agree. It's the first game of the year after they won the championship. Of course, they're going to raise the banner here. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? That's just dumb. What do you think? Same thing. Kind of it's like, so, how is this even a controversy? Thing. It's not. It's like we're the hard, most hardcore Thai cat fans you'll find out there, and we don't give a shit. Like it's nope. it's the first game of the season. Like they're not rubbing it in. Like I, I no. get, like. It's just silliness. Um, let them raise their banner. They earned the championship. They should be able to raise it on the first game of the season in front of a packed house with all their fans. There's no controversy to it. No, none whatsoever. Um, so I'm glad we agree on that. Hamilton will likely play this game without Devere Posey and possibly Chris Van Zyl. Tunde Adelike and Braylon Addison could miss the game as well. The Bombers don't come in completely healthy either. Uh, I mean, Andrew Harris is nicked up, and there's questions whether he's going to play, and he was the reason, maybe the sole reason, one of, well, one of the main reasons that, especially offensively, that the uh, the Bombers beat the Tabbies back in November of 2019. So given what we know right now, Mike, do you think the Ticats start their season off on the right note, or is my prediction that I just made of an undefeated season dead after game one? I think they do. I think the only way they lose this game is if they get eaten alive at the tackle position. If... If Willie Jefferson and uh, I think it's Jefferson, uh, Jackson Jeffcoat, Jackson Jeffcoat, yeah. If those two guys eat the tackles alive like they did in the Grey Cup game, we might be in trouble. But uh, other than that, I don't see a way that the Bombers are going to win this game. I think the Ticats are going to come out, and like you said, with the banner raising, I think that's just a little bit of extra motivation. This team is is on a mission. They're going to want to beat the Bombers. I know it's, it doesn't. You know, it's not the same thing as winning a great cup, but they still want a little bit of revenge. Um, they're going to come out hungry, and uh, they're going to snatch this win from the Bombers. Spoil the party. I like the way you're thinking. Uh, is there any – so your your focus in this game then, you're looking at the the two tackle positions. That's where you're going right, to kind of key on. You think that's the key to the game? Absolutely, If especially if Chris Van Zyl is out. Um, yeah. If we got Okafor and Tate um, at the two tackle, tackle positions um, – yeah, essentially, that's essentially rookies at those on. spots, right? Yes. So that that could be. I mean, I think that's the only way that we lose if if the pressure is on the quarterback all day long. Yeah, that's that's the one area I'm concerned with. I mentioned earlier, I'm gonna I'm gonna be keen on what Cam Kelly does as the team's Sam linebacker. I think that that's uh, that's a that we we talked about this before. One of the toughest positions to address, especially with uh, an American, an unknown American uh, playing the position for the first time. It's it's unique to this game, to this league. So I am kind of curious as to what we see there. I'm also uh, going to kind of pay attention to how the team's going to work their ratio. Ted Laurent is likely not to play in this game, and that could lead to some ratio issues. The Ticats might have to start six on offense, which leads me to believe that Sean Thomas Erlington is going to get the call as the team's starting running back. With Then Don Jackson comes in. You'll probably take a receiver off the field and throw in uh, a Jake Burt or Nikola Kalinich. Like, it, it's nice to know that the Ticats have these options with their ratio, and I think they built this team with this in mind, where if we need to make some changes, we're not locked into any one or two players or any, like, three or four positions with where we run our ratio. But, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how Kelly does and to see what the Ticats do with their ratio, given that a guy that we know is going to start once he's healthy and Ted Laurent won't, probably won't be there. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a couple question marks with the with the injuries on the Ticats, but uh, ultimately I think that they prevail against the Bombers. Yeah, despite it, that it, fact. It's, and it's not like Winnipeg doesn't have question marks either. I don't think their yeah. receiving core is all that stout. Nope. Um, 
I, I mean, Adam Big Hill's a good player, but I'm not I'm not overly familiar with everything they have in their linebacking core. I think their secondary lost some pieces. Uh, they just recently traded for Alden Darby, but they lost uh, what was it? Um, Mercy Matson. Uh, they saw there's some couple other players that that left. I think one went to the NFL. I think other. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as if the Bombers are coming into into this game fully healthy with like a, a starting complement of players either. So there's. You you have younger, inexperienced guys trying to guard Braylon Addison and Brandon Banks. You're you're in for a long night. Like even even mm-hmm. even great DBs have trouble against those guys. Guys that maybe were were are less familiar with the league are going to even have more so. So I think you, you kind of wrap it all up. And I, I think the Ticats. I won't say they they blow them out, but I, I think they win this one fairly comfortably. Um, yeah, I just uh, I, I don't see the the Ticats not not coming out of week one one and zero. I mean, of course they don't. I have them going fourteen and zero, so of course I see them going one and zero. Right? Yeah, and it's just it's just exciting that uh, I think there's going to be some big crowds, you know, in this first weekend of CFL football. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know there's some controversy there with uh, the COVID and all that stuff, but uh, it it's, it'll just be nice to see the fans come back. You know. You know what? Wear your mask. We've been doing it yeah, for yeah, for a yeah. year now. I do it every day. I go to work. Mm-hmm. I, di- I did it when I went to practice and we we're outdoors. It's not a big deal. If, if you're worried about COVID, if you're worried about COVID, don't go to the game. That's, uh, you know yep. what, honestly, y- you can't protect everyone against everything. But if you go to the game and you're, and you're vaccinated, but you're still concerned, wear a mask. If you go into the game and you're unvaccinated, wear a goddamn, I mean, especially if you're unvaccinated, wear a goddamn mm-hmm. mask. Um, but you know what I mean? Like just, we, we, we've all been doing everything we can so we can get back to stuff like this. Yeah. And with a, sol- a potentially sold-out crowd in Winnipeg, we're hearing that the game in, in Saskatchewan is sold out. I guarantee you Labor Day is going to be sold out as much as the Ticats can. I believe it right now it's 15,000 people. If that's what it ends up being come Labor Day, that game's going to be sold out. Do what, you've, do what you continue to be doing. If you're worried, stay home. The game's on. T- I mean, I'm not going to be in Winnipeg. You're not going to be in Winnipeg. We're going to enjoy the game on television. There's nothing wrong with that either. But like I said, we did everything we're supposed to be doing, or most of us did everything we're supposed to be doing for the last year, last 18 months, to get back to stuff like this. I'm not going to let that dissuade me from enjoying this. I'm, I'm pumped that Winnipeg's going to have a sold-out crowd, and I can't wait till the Ticats go in there and silence them early with a couple of big touchdowns oh, yes. off the hop. Exactly. And we're ne- there's always going to be people out there that don't believe in, you know, getting vaccinated and all that stuff. It's just going to – you can't change that. You can't change people's minds, you know, some people. So – you know, just live your life, you know, wear your mask if you're worried and, uh, yeah, have a good time. Enjoy some things. That's right. We're going to enjoy this, man. I, I can't believe we're here. It doesn't feel like forever ago that we were contemplating whether there was going to be a 2020 season. And then mm-hmm. now we're here on the precipice of the 2021 season and we're talking about actual football and we're going to get to watch it. The next time you and I sit down to record, we will have a game to discuss. That's just awesome. That feels great. Yeah, it, it does feel great. It's, it's finally back. Uh, you know, we didn't get our full 18-game schedule, but I think this 14-game schedule is going to be a lot of fun. I yeah. think 14 games is, like, a perfect number for, like, a nine-team league. Uh, the, na- the All the games are going to mean more because there's less of them, so... Yeah, I'm really pumped for this season. Yeah, I can't wait. This, this season, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a gooder, and if, and if it ends how we think it's going to end, it's going to be the best of, best season we've had in uh, in over 20 years, and I'm looking forward to it, man. So that was Pods Community for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.